dialogue across that gaping political divide. I'm Ed Fallon. I'm your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. And if you like what we do, we could use your support. Visit the donations page. Become a monthly sponsor, if possible. And uh, if you're a business, yeah, we'd love to have you as a sponsor as well. Uh, on that note, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Check out Gateway's catering and floral services as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. And thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been taking care of all manner of creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, with me in the studio, two weeks in a row, Dr. Charles Goldman. Today we are going to focus specifically and laser beam-like on Roe v. Wade. And joining us on the phone, attorney Joseph Glazebrook. Hello, Joseph. Welcome to the conversation. Thanks, Ed. Good to be here. Hey, let's start by looking at the, uh, the court ruling. Again, Roe v. Wade likely to be overturned by the Supreme Court. And if and when that happens, and it could be soon, it could be by the time this program airs, in fact, because we are pre-recording this. Uh, when that happens, it, it's going to be thrown to the states, and you know what? That's going to be a confusing mess to follow. Joseph, what's your take on what happens at the states' levels? Sure. Well, yeah, it does look like the court is gearing up to overrule Roe versus Wade, and it, it, it probably will be a pretty decisive ruling. You know, a pretty clear uh, ruling. So that'll remove federal constitutional protections for the qualified right to an abortion. Um, and what that means is that each state's own law will then kick in and apply uh, to abortions in the state. Now, there's a number of states where nothing really will change because state law uh, allows for abortion. And there's a number of states, uh, I think about 13 of them, that have something called a trigger law, which... Uh, kicks in if the federal courts ever undo Roe versus Wade and automatically make abortion illegal once again. Iowa is in a group of states that are in the middle of those two extremes where we, where there's a, a different uh, issue, and, and our issue is that we have a state constitutional protection for abortion that would, in theory, prevent um, any state statute that purported to criminalize abortion from uh, taking effect. So the battle in Iowa would uh, would be over that state constitutional uh, issue. Well, that's one battle, and, and I guess my question is, is the uh, state legislature working on... on um, <laughs> Making it worse. No, well, well, yeah, but are, are they trying to make that... Uh, are they trying to bring that constitutional amendment forward? Because it takes, uh, it takes three or four years at least to do that. Right. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they are. I... To me, that seems like an ineffective strategy on their end. I mean, they could try to do that, and I'm sure they'd get the votes in the Republican-controlled um, uh, bodies of our General Assembly. But uh, I don't think the people would go for that. And, of course, as you know, the, in Iowa, the people would have to vote on the constitutional amendment for it to take effect. So I don't think that's uh, very likely, at least in the near term. I think... Probably what they're looking at is trying to convince the Iowa Supreme Court to uh, undo their relatively recent decisions regarding um, the state constitution's protection of abortion rights. Yeah, I, I, I would argue that um, they don't want to bring up a constitutional amendment because that, of course, would be asking the people what they want. Um, and polling is yeah, pretty clear right, on it's this. Pretty Iowans clear. overall 
with some limitations, with some 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 right. stipulations, support a woman's right to they're choose. They're going to, they're going to use the uh, activist courts method, which is the Republicans' favorite method. Uh, and I agree. I think they're going to try to bring up some straw person case right. to to force the issue okay, as to whether the Constitution of Iowa really does but, protect But the, I, the Iowa court system is not like the federal court system. And, and the Iowa Supreme Court is not the ideological body that the U.S. Supreme Court is. Would well, you, we, would believe, you, we believe that. To be would, well, would you agree with that, Joseph? Um, I would partially agree with that. I mean, certainly uh, prior to like four years ago, I would 100% agree with that. And you may recall there was this big fight over the uh, state judicial nominating uh, commission, and they did change the procedure for who gets to sit on that body. They actually made it more partisan and not less partisan. Right. So there is actually the ability to have a Republican lean on that commission, which is currently the case now. That doesn't mean they're all completely crazy. It just means that there's ideological Republicans trying to push the judiciary to the right as we speak. And we do know that after the Iowa Supreme Court's uh, marriage equality decision, you know, 10, 12 years ago, uh, they did remove three judges, the conservatives did, through a state uh, retention election. And and they were replaced with more conservative judges. And even since that time, there's been a couple of changes that have resulted in a rightward shift of the Iowa court. I would basically characterize the Iowa Supreme Court as it currently is constituted as a fairly center-right court with with some possible movement in the near future, even further to the right. And so I do worry about um, the partisan makeup of the court, but I also know that, I mean, to the extent that it, you can say this anymore, it's still a professional group of uh, lawyers who theoretically should adhere to uh, principles of legal reasoning. And uh, it is less partisan than the federal court system, but I'm not at all confident that they wouldn't take an opportunity to at least chip away if but, not but they, they, I, state constitutional rights. Again, most of the current members of the court were there in 2018 when the ruling you referenced earlier was 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 uh, was um, was decided, and so were they likely True. to go against that ruling on on abortion? Well, what I'm so there's a couple members who are either leaving or who have changed since then, and so and that that ruling was a, a fairly um, nuanced ruling as well. So I it, my my concern is this: I I don't necessarily think they're gonna change overnight and go from, you know, abortion is protected to abortion is not protected at all. I think it's more likely that we'll see some sort of chipping away or reduction in the scope of the right. Uh, but you never know. I mean, people said the same thing about the, the United States Supreme Court. Right. And here we are with uh, six members apparently, apparently poised to overrule Roe directly. So. so, Joseph, not speaking of nuance, do you have any feeling about uh the draft that was circulated, but you know, in terms of the reasoning of Judge Alito. Well, I, I mean, I looked at that. It, it's absolutely uh, crazy, in my opinion. It's just a completely uh, ahistorical document. I, I mean, it's just it, it's it's bizarre to me to, um, on the one hand, root so much of the reasoning in uh, medieval common law. This is law from the from England at a time when the English nobility were primarily speaking French still because the Norman conquest was so recent. And this is, this is ancient, ancient stuff that we're basing American law on. The, the, the ironic thing is if you look at English common law more recently, and at, at like uh, the time of the founding of the United States, 
Uh, you know, there was this guy named Blackstone who wrote these famous treatises, and I have them. Mm-hmm. And he actually, uh, in his writing, said that abortion prior to the quickening, which is when the fetus, you can feel the fetus moving, right. um, is not is not a crime. And if it's after that, it's uh, manslaughter. So there was a distinction, which is almost exactly what uh, Roe versus Wade said mm-hmm. at the point of the between the second and third trimester when the rights of the child start to kind of kick in, and it. Pretty much abortion after that point has to be based on health reasons. Abortion prior to that is, uh, uh, you know, accessible. Um, And so that's what Roe said. That was consistent with the common law under Blackstone, but it's not consistent with the uh, older common law that Alita was citing. And so I guess my opinion about his decision is that it's a a poorly written, uh, very ideological, very religious, very theocratic sounding uh, decision that does not speak for the majority of people in this country. Well, the other, the other question I have about that, too, is, is that all we hear about is the issue of right to privacy as the premise of Roe v. Wade, but it completely ignores that that decision was, to my understanding, was also based on the fact that the state couldn't prove an interest in prohibiting it because of the issue of well, there, was no yeah. accept, there was no accepted fetal viability uh, you know, as you said, prior to obviously using more modern techniques, the quickening is a little bit, you know, a little bit sure, dated. Yeah. yeah. But that there wasn't any there wasn't a personhood of the fetus that you could extrapolate from uh, right. pre- previous law. Yeah. And, and frankly, you know, there's so many uh, examples of situations where um, human uh, reproductive activity results in uh you know, uh, sperm and egg joining but not attaching to the uterine wall and, and all sorts of things. And there's all sorts of uh, in vitro fertilization and things that we do that we, could, we most people find completely fine ethically, but which yet result in the discarding of, of embryos and things. And so I, it just seems uh, uh, completely uh, arbitrary to um, uh, draw the line where Alito tries to draw it. Um, also, yeah, I mean, the problem that some folks have with Roe versus Wade is that it's based on this nebulous idea of the right to privacy, which up until that point was kind of this fluffy, flowery, vague concept that kind of came up in various cases. And it's important. I think it's important to realize that the Constitution didn't explicitly articulate every single right that was protected. It said that here's what the state can do, here's what the state can't do, and there's a whole realm of things in between. And in order to find out what that realm of things in between that were protected was, was to look to the history and traditions of the English uh, legal system, essentially. And so there there were this contraception case uh, immediately before Roe, and there's cases about whether you could teach kids uh, based on what the parents want before Roe. There's all these cases that dealt with the privacy of families and making decisions as a family and the court came along in row and said that would extend to abortion as well. Now, later, the court would more firmly root the concept of the right to an abortion in something called the Substantive Due, Pro- Due Process Clause, which is a part of the 14th Amendment. And that clause, uh, as you point out, really focuses on whether there's a strong state interest in interfering with the right of the individual in question. So. It's a balancing between the state's interest in arguably preventing abortion versus the individual's interest in being allowed to make that decision. And the court re- reasoned, both in Roe originally, but more importantly in later cases, including Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the mm-hmm. currently um, valid and, and good case that we cite to, um, that the interest of the fetus 
is minimal at the beginning of the pregnancy. It grows over time relative to the pregnant woman's interests. And then at a certain point, that fetus's interests become sufficient to justify certain state regulations on abortion. And that's when you get to the point where abortion is only legally uh, countenanced if it uh, has to do with the health of the mother. And so that's kind of the balancing that the court did in uh, Casey and other cases. So, uh, Joseph, let let me ask you about uh, Oklahoma. Uh, since yep. the uh, since the uh, Supreme Court leak on Roe v. Wade, Oklahoma uh, went ahead and basically uh, outlawed abortion. Um, I, I don't I don't I'm not even sure of the details, but I don't think there's even much of an exemption for rape or incest. There's none. And none. And, Correct. And, and this is at this is basically at conception. I mean. Yeah. It, it's. Ha- it's one of the most extreme ones in the country at this point. And to what extent is that going to be replicated in other states? I mean, it it depends on the extreme, the how extreme the state legislatures are in the, in the other states. I suspect that it will be replicated, you know, in at least uh, ten or fifteen states. Um, you know, up until now, a lot of states have been kind of playing it cute. You know, they've been pushing back the number of weeks. You know, the twenty weeks and eighteen weeks. Right. And, you see some 12 weeks and crazy things like that. Well, Oklahoma, yeah, it's basically back to conception. No exception for rape or incest. There is a very, very narrow exception. It's not, it doesn't say health of the mother. It says the life of the mother. So I guess you'd have to, I don't know, have a doctor do an affidavit that says, if I don't do this abortion, the mother's going to die, which is, you know, nobody wants to be in that position to even have to make that choice, let alone have to right. do this paperwork. And frankly, doctors aren't going to want to do it. So. It's going to be a, a disaster for a lot of people, including um, mothers who do have health complications, because I don't think that exception is, is yeah. good enough. And then in the case of rape and incest, you know, of course, that's the state. Again, this is the government, the small government party using the state to force people to be pregnant against their will. That's what rape is. And so, you know, that's a situation where the state is going to force a, a rape victim to re-endure that trauma by giving birth to to her rapist uh, baby, and that's that's a I can't think of a more uh, tyrannical use of the state right. than that. It, so yeah, you're pol- it is a policy, and, and, and that's a great that's a great point, yeah. Joseph, because one of the arguments that the uh, the anti-abortion I will never call them pro-life side is that um, they are defending the women because they don't understand the mental anguish that they will suffer later on in life from having aborted a uh, embryo, uh, you know. And in point of fact, the trauma of being forced, whether it's rape or whether it's any other situation, of bearing a child that you have no interest in bearing is far greater. And of course, the consequence then is now there's a child involved that they're so worried about uh, as a fetus but could care less about in real life who has a parent who had no interest in having you and whose life is being changed because of you, of being forced to be pregnant. I mean, it's absolutely, I, again, it's one of those things where I don't know how we got to this place. I do know how we got to this place. That's the problem. American women have had an abortion. I mean, this is not an unusual or rare thing at all. Right. And so these, the vast majority of people who have undergone an abortion procedure are not experiencing, um, you know, any sort of significant trauma related to the abortion procedure itself. There, There might be other trauma. I mean, sometimes people do have, have issues that come out of that, but it's no different than any other medical procedure. And it's a very common and well-studied uh, procedure that is safe and is very, uh, it's not something that causes the trauma that its opponents say it does. Well, it's, it, it's, 
the most important group that's not experiencing the abortion that's driving this show is men. This is, this, this is about misogyny. This is not, yes, there's an element of religious belief associated with it, but basically it's misogyny. And, and a return to, as you point out, basically the Middle Ages are earlier in terms of our understanding of the science of human biology. Well, Joseph, I really thank you for joining us, and I think uh, we might want to revisit this conversation as, as, the, as the decision is, um, is revealed and as states begin to jockey with how they respond to it. I mean, one concern I have is that if Republicans regain control of the U.S. House and Senate uh, and yes. at some point the presidency, they could, they could easily enact federal law that could preempt any, anything that a, a more tolerant state uh, that— would support abortion rights. Any, any, anything they might want to do could be preempted by federal law. And Joseph, you could Absolutely. write a federal law in which it's not reviewable by the Supreme Court. Is that not correct? Well, there is a provision of Article 3, Section 2, that says that the Supreme Court's jurisdiction review of law is subject to whatever limitations Congress may impose. But that, the ability of Congress to make a law unreviewable in that way is, has never been tested, and most legal scholars don't think that provision of the Constitution actually allows for people to elude judicial review. I think the problem is that the current judiciary would review it in a way that was not effective. They would allow the federal uh, Congress to ban abortion, which would preempt states like California or Massachusetts or whoever else who wanted to keep abortion legal. The federal law would trump whatever state law uh, was there and would make it illegal for everybody. So I think you're right, Ed. That's a serious yeah. concern. Well, mm -hmm. Joseph, uh, thank you uh, so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Folks, we've been talking with uh, Joseph Glazebrook, an attorney here in Des Moines. Uh, Dr. Charles Goldman in the studio with me. We're going to come back uh, from a short break. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking with uh, Carol Spalding-Cruz to get her take on this uh, historic and very disturbing moment. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, the niche that we provide here, the opportunity for other voices to be heard, it's more important than ever. So please support what we do. You can go to the Fallon Forum website, uh, donate, even better, become a monthly sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village, uh, Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in both English and Spanish. 
The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. All right, so we're, uh, we're here in the studio again with uh, Dr. Charles Goldman, and uh, joining us on the phone is uh, Carol Spalding Cruzy. She's a writer and a professor at Drake University. Uh, Carol, welcome to the conversation. Thank you, Ed. Um, I, too, am a doctor, but I'm a doctor of philosophy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Carol's the other person who wants to be called doctor. My brother. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. My, brother is, when my brother's on the show. He has to be called doctor. I actually don't tell Ed to call me doctor. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I do because you're wearing green scrubs in the studio. If you don't want me to call you doctor, leave the green That's scrubs fine. at home, okay? That's fine. All right. Well, Dr. Spaulding. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is a really, really interesting one. I mean, I honestly never thought we'd get to the point where we're having this conversation about the complete elimination of a woman's right to choose regarding yeah. an abortion. And, and uh, I mean... And you've got a deep perspective uh, on life, on on literature, on politics. Um, I, you, you, I'm just going to throw it wide open to you. What would you like to add to this conversation to start it off? Well, first of all, Ed, I wanted to thank you for doing a second program on this really important topic because, you know, I just think um, it really does need to be addressed. Um, and so I appreciate your doing that. You know, you had asked me to think earlier about what life um, prior to the ending of Roe v. Wade was like, even though we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves in doing so. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think one of the most important things to understand is that for most women who have had abortion, it was a safe, legal, five-minute, non-interesting procedure. You know, um, for I, I think I've read and Charles may know more about these statistics, but uh, that most of the women who receive abortions are married women with children. That's correct. Mm -hmm. You know, and their first trimester non-complex procedures. Right. Yeah. And I was talking with um, a former student of mine um, who's working on a book about abortion activism in the Bay Area, the history of it. And um, we were talking about her. She's doing a lot of work around the abortion pill um, and trying to make it widely available, you know, before mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade ends. And so we were talking about um, just abortion in general because she's so passionate about it. I had shared with her that I had an abortion at 19. And she said she could not believe the number of women of my generation who have just been quietly sharing with her that they too had abortions when they were young women. Um, the reason that I'm willing to share that is because I can bet you anything that many of your listeners were in the same boat. Mm. It is so common. Um, and, you know, in the many decades since my abortion, the just watching um, the safe, legal, non-complicated procedure just be eroded you know, to the point of now it's non-existence has just been, it's a harrowing thing to watch, you know. And the fact also that um, I had mentioned that um, last time I uh, called in that that um, article by Merritt Tierce in the New York Times that I know Charles had read, where she talks about being, you know, uh, the daughter in an evangelical Christian family, 
And um, even though abortion was legal, because she's uh, about 10 years younger than I am, during that time period, she did not obtain an abortion, even though she wanted one desperately, due to one factor, and that was ideology alone. And now that ideology is spreading to affect all of us, even though there are many young women who would still willingly choose an abortion if they could. You know, so the ideology that prevented Merit Tears from getting an abortion when it was still a safe and legal procedure has now corrupted everything. You know, it, it's it's poisoned everything. Um, and, you know, there are just so many women who, you know, are not evangelical Christians and, the, and many who are who would still have preferred to get an abortion if they could. You know, so it's... Um, it's such a scary time. Well, it was really interesting, Carol, this week, you know, um, this report came out on the um, sexual abuse issues in the Southern Baptist Convention. Yes. And yeah. what was really fascinating was, and we talked about this, I think, on the first show, that actually at the time of Roe v. Wade, the Southern Baptist Convention was actually not among the fundamentalist Protestant sects that were arguing that it was immoral and ethical against Scripture. Uh, but my favorite thing about that, you know, what came out from the sexual abuse scandal um, was, of course, how often when it resulted in pregnancy, the church elders tried to uh, push the women to have abortions. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, of course, we know hypocrisy, misogyny. This is what it's all about. This mm -hmm. isn't. And of course, it's a tyranny of a minority of people in this country. Um who are using religion to uh, cover up for what, as I, I truly believe, is is predominantly a, a misogynistic enterprise. Um, and in many ways, that's what religions are. They but, are, but, you no, know, about men telling women what to do. But there there are some, I know some men and some, it's not, there, there are women who are opposed to abortion rights as well. Well, that's fine. They're not certainly having them. Our, they don't have to have them. Our, our governor is certainly in that camp. And, yeah. Uh, and I, I would argue that there there are people who deeply believe that abortion is wrong, that aren't bad people, that aren't aren't necessarily misogynist. You know, they uh, they, they 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 have this. I think you. I think I think you have to look at the history of the movement coming out of the uh, post row era. It's juxtaposition with the effort by some, such as Shafley and, and Paul Weyrich, to make sure the Equal Rights Amendment wasn't passed. By the way, if the Equal Rights Amendment was passed, we wouldn't be talking about this. Um, and it is part and parcel of a political movement that was created, and the issue was created. Yes, I, I agree with you, Ed. There are people who believe this, and they have a right to advocate. I think they have a right to do, to some degree, what they do. If they want to stand in front of an abortion clinic at a distance and advocate, that's their business. That's first, a First Amendment first right. Amendment, yeah. But the, mm -hmm. the idea that we should change the legal system in this country because the, the end result of this, and we'll talk a little bit about this maybe, you know, after the last segment, about the invasion of privacy that this is going to lead to, you know, is, is dangerous. And um, you're going to have the issue of states that are going to try to interfere in the politics and the, and the laws of other states, um, stopping their, you know, you know, there are people who are living in their state from going across the state line to another state. Um, this is going to tear this country apart. And um, yes, I understand. Some people feel that it is wrong. 
but it's their opinion. It's their opinion based on when they think life starts. Carol, do you want to jump back in? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the traditional um, pro-choice feminist line is certainly something like, um, you know, women have the right to control their own bodies and that, um, you know, people who are pro-life really are anti-woman and that sort of thing. Um, and, and I do believe a lot of that, but I also sort of have this fantasy sometimes about, okay, so let's everybody put reducing the need for abortion at the top of the list, whoever you are, whatever quote unquote side you fall on. Right. And we also know that most people are somewhere in the middle, um, about, abortion rights, you know, in the first trimester, that's fine with many people and so forth. So it isn't the black and white issue that, you know, I think the powers that be would like us to think it is. Mm -hmm. But what if we could just assemble all of the people who could agree on any side that reducing the need for abortion would be a good thing? You'll never eliminate it, right? Um, It's always been around. It will always be around. It's just post Roe v. Wade, it will only be around for, for women you know, who are privileged. Now, that, that's exactly, that was exactly my line of thinking in 1998 when I was a member of the House, Carol. Right. I, and I, and I, I, I convinced, um, it wasn't hard either, I convinced five Republicans and three other Democrats to uh, sponsor a uh, resolution with me to establish the Unintended Pregnancy Committee. And I, again, it might have been the only time that you had Planned Parenthood and NARAL in the Iowa Right to Life Committee and the Catholic Church uh, sitting at the same table. And that that um, meeting went on for a day and came up with some you know some legitimate uh, common ground. I think I think you both are underestimating and underplaying how Machiavellian this whole movement has been, mm. because you have to see where everybody started from and where they ended up. Okay, Republicans were not anti-abortion. But prior to Roe v. Wade, right? Okay, it became it became, it became a, a wedge issue. It became a wedge issue that they took advantage, and it and the problem was that it got out of control, and it's no different than what we we're talking about in the previous show about gun legislation. Mm-hmm. People have mm-hmm. simply hardened their position based on their identification with the tribe. This right. is this is this is an issue of whose autonomy should, you know, should be dominant here. And the notion that a potential existence is predominant over an actual existence is absolutely ludicrous. Mm-hmm. And the notion that, you know, it goes right back to the, the lack of science that's been employed here. That if, if I hear them call one more bill at six weeks the heartbeat bill, I'm going to scream. Mm-hmm. There is no heart, okay? Mm-hmm. And this is a blob of cells for a long time. Okay, and, you know, you can believe what you want about that. But they have used the, the, the power of a, a authoritarian, now authoritarian political party at their capture of the American judiciary to bring this to, to bring this to fruition. And I'm not saying that there aren't people on the anti-abortion side who truly believe it's a holocaust just like the holocaust of of you know the german holocaust in world war ii yes there are those people but the majority of this this has been manipulated this is is it is absolutely a contrivance that we've gotten to this place 
Well, we're definitely not in 1998 anymore. I was just going to ask Ed if yeah. he still thought that such a thing would be possible. And we have become so very tribal about this, this issue, like gun control, that I that I seriously doubt that it's possible now. And that's why it feels so much like it's absolute control over women's bodies mm-hmm. and women's agency. You know, it's going to get it's going to get worse, to Carol. It's going to get worse. Because yeah. it's going to lead to criminalization of right. miscarriages and a whole bunch of other things going on that's going to make this look pretty tame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about what about criminal? What about outlawing uh, contraception or some forms? Of well, some forms of contraception, once again, based on a poor science that they are aboard the fashions, right? It leads to crazy things like saying that a tubal anatomic pregnancy should be removed and moved to the uterus. Okay. When you have a tubal, right. yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, that, yeah, and it's gotten so out of control. But I mean, you know, if if we really were to ask, you know, what works, what works in actually eliminating abortion or at least reducing the need for abortion, and everybody knows that educating women, contraception, and you know, social services that create a, a more fair playing field for people. They, these things work. So if we really wanted to reduce abortion and not, of course, control women's bodies and agency, then it's a doable thing. In fact, hasn't haven't the abortion rates gone down? It was is the, I don't know if that's a statistic that you also know about. Yeah, yeah, Charles. they have. Yeah. Abortion yeah. rates have steadily gone down. That's exactly right. right. That's exactly right. But but part and parcel of this is the issue of what happens to contraception or certain forms of contraception. I mean, you know, these states are going to be racing to the bottom. And mm-hmm. these are the kinds of things that, you know, you really got to wonder about. Because they had that whole discussion in that draft about, you know, the need to have a, a, a adoptable babies, i.e. adoptable white babies is what they were talking mm-hmm. about. Because there were plenty of babies that are out there, or yeah. actually children, yeah. who could be adopted now. Yeah. Right, right. And I think it's amazing, like you're starting to hear programs, even on NPR, of like, you know, well-meaning people who were who were saying things like, you know, well, now that we're going to have a, a post-row world, you know, there's going to be actually more babies to take care of. And what are we going to do about these more babies that we're going to need to take care of? And it's just preposterous that people actually believe that. There was that, dis- that, that is going there was, to be the result. There was that disgusting op-ed in the New York Times saying that, that now, you know, now we're going to have to do things to make sure that we can support women who have these babies. You had 50 years to do that and you didn't do it. It's not going to happen. Well, and the thing is, is there aren't going to be more more babies. There are going to be more dead women. That's what, you know, I mean, they're not going to stop abortion, right? It's still going to happen. It's just going to be way more dangerous. So yeah. it's, it's, it's ludicrous to think that actually more babies are going to be born. Yeah. It's just going to be far more dangerous for the women who do obtain them. So it's just, I don't know. Well, but I, very well-meaning people who are, you know, the kind of people that you're describing, Ed, you know, I think that I, they must think that something like that is going to be the result, and I think it's a fantasy. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Carol, thank you uh, so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Folks, we've Thanks been talking for asking. with uh, Carol Spalding. She's a writer, a professor at Drake University, a doctor of philosophy, I believe. And uh, <laughs> That's a, Dr. Carol. A doctor, a deep thinker <laughs> on a number of levels. Uh, uh, thanks for joining us. And when we, when we come back, we're going to take a short break, folks. Dr. Charles Goldman sticking with me as we come back for a final segment in our conversation about Roe v. Wade. Uh, we want to talk about the invasion of privacy. And I also see a political silver lining in this uh, 
in this whole conversation. Back in a minute. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Back to the uh, Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. Thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. Wherever you live in Iowa, anywhere in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. All right, so Dr. Charles Goldman's with me here, folks, or as he prefers, Charles Goldman. But he's wearing he's wearing scrubs. <laughs> no, I mean, so you, I see the scrub. You can call me Dr. Charles Goldman. Just be sure you call the other people who have PhDs, okay, and all the other things, doctor, if they want to be called doctor too. That's and, all. And, <laughs> and of course, we know the one person who absolutely has to be called doctor. That's right, your brother. <laughs> okay, but we're dealing with a really serious, important, and disturbing topic here, and there's a lot of concern that. Um, that there are ramifications to the Roe v. Wade ruling and subsequent political fallout that that hit pretty broad uh, to a whole range of things that most Americans care deeply about, including the issue of privacy. Yeah, I mean, they've been we've been talking a lot about you know privacy in the sense that uh, Roe v. Wade being an exemplar, as you know Joseph was talking about at the beginning. Uh, of a decision that seemed to revolve around the right to privacy and then eventually the right to privacy evolved in other decisions subsequent to Roe. Um, but one thing that's being missed, and maybe, you know, maybe what happened subsequent to the leak of the draft, maybe there is going to be a somewhat change in the decision, was that we got a preview of the post-Roe world. Um, and the preview of the post-Roe world is that you've got states that are going to pass laws, if they haven't already done so, uh, and Missouri probably is going as far. I, I think Louisiana is going the furthest, Louisiana, well, Oklahoma. How, how can, anybody, Oklahoma. How, yeah, how can yeah. anybody go any further than Oklahoma? Well, Oklahoma and Louisiana, I think, are going the furthest in terms of criminalization. But Missouri is going the furthest in terms of interfering with the rights of their own citizens so? to travel. How so? Well, because Missouri is, uh, you know, at least was considering a law. Uh, it didn't, you know, get passed at this point. I think they're just waiting to see what the road decision is going to do, um, which essentially would allow for the 
uh, extradition of physicians in Illinois, and that I mean that's who they're basically aiming this at, where because Illinois right. abortion will remain legal, um, who perform abortions on Missouri residents. So a Missouri woman, woman in Missouri goes to Missouri goes ahead and outlaws abortion completely. Mm-hmm. Woman in St. Louis travels across the river to East St. Louis, or wherever the uh, yeah wherever the abortion a clinic performs the abortion. St. Louis is. That's correct. She goes back. Right. She gets some um, criminal charges uh, levied against her. Well, it it it, it would be uh, against the physician. You know. Well, what's but, the, what's to stop some of these uh, lawmakers from going at? Well, they might they put criminalize they, the woman as well. Well, that's correct. I mean, or they choose the Texas model where they you know allow for the lawsuits to you know bankrupt people and everybody who helped you, including the person who drove you across the river. Uh, you know, of course, the there's East Bridge over to East crime. St. Louis. Right. Right, right. So there's the issue of, so they're going to be monitoring your travel, right? Which means they have to know you're pregnant ahead of time. Well, how are they going to know that? Well, you know, those apps on your phone, right? The ones that you install, but then you have to, um, you know, go through this long document that you have no choice about signing, really, if you want to use the app, right? You know, yeah. and nobody ever reads these. Yeah. Well, in in those documents, you're generally giving away the information, you know, that um, about your use of the app. It potentially can be sold. Um, location data from your phone gets sold, as we found out in 2000 Mules, that moronic movie about that, you know, the... I didn't see the Mule that was That was um, the Dinesh, whatever his name is, movie, saying, you know, he showed how they stole the election, how they stole the, night, oh. the 2020 election. But anyway, the, the geolocation data they can be sold. They stole the 2020 election? That's right. I hadn't heard. So the point, uh, information from apps women use to monitor their cycle can be sold or it can be subpoenaed. Okay, they so may not even so, need to subpoena so it. They may just have to buy it. In, in terms of an invasion of privacy. It's an enormous well, invasion we've of already privacy accomplished that's that. With, we've already accomplished that by having our smartphone, a.k.a. federal tracking device on us at all times with all these apps right, but this that is, make but, it even more But intrusive. this is a consequence that will make, you know, your concern about the ban seem less, you know, even minor compared to the invasion of privacy in, that women may suffer at this point. To the point of, are states going to start suing other states? They can. There is a, there is a, a legal theory of the effects doctrine which is that if a state feels that the action of another state is causing uh, harm to its state's residents, that they can go to federal court and basically try to overturn laws in other states. Mm-hmm. So much of states' rights. But, yeah. but this is where we're going. I mean, we're going in a direction that, um, I mean, as I said, I think on the first show, if you think the drug war on privacy, the drug-fueled war on privacy is bad, an abortion you know, war on uh, a war on abortions. You know, the privacy consequences will look mild compared to the drug war. Yeah. So, isn't there though? I mean, I I see a silver lining in this dark cloud, and it it involves the uh, the, the political it involves the the pendulum, if you will, where the political forces in one direction go way too far. Uh, and then they can't, it cannot help but swing back the other direction and perhaps in an even more significant way than previously. So in other words, um, you know, they've, they've, they've pushed so far already and they're going to continue to push. So and what, going, they, what in our system is self-correcting anymore? 
The um, Republicans have packed the courts for generations to come. The courts will not be the activists they were. You know, everybody's view of the courts is the Warren Court of the 60s, right? And that only happened because Earl Warren had some kind of metamorphosis in terms of his views coming out of the 50s, you know, and they led, they got ahead of the country. It's, that's not coming. And, and, and the Democrats can never get enough control to be able to get around okay, so, the yeah. Senate. So, so d- d- despite, despite all the political obstacles, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm an independent, folks. I will vote in primaries, oftentimes Democratic, Democratic primaries. Right. Uh, I did go to a Republican caucus once, great sport. But the, um, you know, the... Who's going to lead the correction? The, the, the um, sensible Democrats and independents and some moderate Republicans who don't like the way things are going. Because if you, if you look at the polling on abortion, very few people, a very small amount of number of Americans support a complete ban as what just happened in Oklahoma and is likely to as continue. As long as it's not their state, they don't care. And as no, long as it's I, not, I, as long I, as it's not their family, they don't no, care. No, I, I don't think so. I, I think I think there's 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 maybe not as much altruism as I would like, but there's more than that, and I think it's going to amount to a political pushback. But it's and the he, same he, issue. But, with, it's the same issue with guns. It's the maldistribution of the people who believe that. Right. The majority of people who believe that are probably already in blue states. Okay. No. So, but all right. So you, you you've got. You, I mean, again, we've got a political system that is very skewed right now between gerrymandering. Various election laws, uh, again the stacking of the courts, especially at the federal level. Uh, yeah, we, we've we've got a mess on our hands, and it is a system that favors a shrinking minority, uh, and, and and that is this 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 conservative Republican, uh, and not conservative is even the wrong word. This reactionary Republican minority that um, are controlling more and more of our lives and more and more of our levers of government, but that. You know, despite that, despite that, Charles, Joe Biden was elected. And again, I'm not a huge Biden fan, but I will note that Biden was elected. But president. he was elected president because people hated Trump. Enough people hated Trump. And there were two Democrats. And there were a lot of people who and, did because and, and, remember well, how many well, Trump but, votes Trump got. But there are also two Democrats from Georgia elected to the U.S. Senate at the same time. That's well, true. Well, shortly after. And so, you know, I, I think um, I, I think it's uh it's um, more fatalism than I'm willing to buy into to say that, oh, there's, there's nothing good that's going to come out of this. I think it's horrible. I think it's going to get worse. And I think as it does get worse, there will be pushback. And a lot of that will happen in the streets. It'll happen, you know, in, in private conversations with people. Uh, and as more and more people begin to see that this direction is, is, is morally wrong, it's, it's totally uh, in, in opposition to the to the uh, principles that our country alleges to, st- to stand for, I, I think you're going to see you're going to see pushback and a significant swing of that pendulum in well, the other direction. I, I, you know, I would think that the one the one I don't want to say it's a silver lining in any way. The one thing that may occur is sure if you're going to have a situation where you've got, you know, 25 plus states, however many there are going to be, in which abortion is essentially inaccessible then you would expect to see that there would be an increasing number of young women in those states dying, and eventually somebody in their family will figure it out. Exactly. But, I mean, it's just, you but know, if that were the case, wouldn't you expect that after Uvalde, or after Columbine, or more so Uvalde, that you would see that same kind of realization that 
your children just got killed. I'm going to make a different comparison. I think mine is better than yours. Uh, okay. my, my comparison would be marriage equality. When, you know, people were, the majority of Americans were opposed to gay, gays marrying, lesbians marrying. But once it happened in Vermont, Hawaii, Massachusetts, Iowa, and then across the country, and people started realizing, oh, my neighbors, a gay couple, look, they live just like we I do. I agree with you. I and agree with once, you. Once people started seeing that, oh, that's not so bad, well, so, you know, opposition to marriage equality just plummeted. And I think the same thing will happen with, with abortion. Once more and more people start seeing, oh, gosh, women are dying. Um, this is a horrible thing. I think, I, I think this, is, goes, this goes right back to what we were just talking about with Carol. These two issues, abortion and guns, have become so inculcated as part of the tribe that it is going to take far more than people dying to change people's minds in these places. And because the system is completely skewed to an inordinate amount of power given to states with low populations, I don't see it happening as quickly as you do. That has to change, too. And I think at some point, Americans will support... uh, uh, either an absolutely reformed Democratic and or Republican Party or replacement parties. And among the reforms that that new political force will, will, will establish are an end to gerrymandering, you know, a liberalization of election laws, um, voting by mail, uh, you know, and, um, uh, and also instant runoff voting. You know, that's a great way to allow for more uh, diverse involvement, diverse opinions to be involved in the political process. You know, and so... I think that stuff's going to happen, and I don't. I, again, I, I think I think guns are a different kind of an issue, largely because there's a huge economic force behind it, and also because people are afraid, and and the powers that be like to encourage people to be afraid, and one response to being afraid is to it's, arm oneself. Well, it's to arm oneself and to submit to authoritarianism. Sure, and I and again, I think I think abortion is more like the marriage equality issue. Although I think it will be harder for us as a species to settle the discussion about when life begins. I don't know if that will, that will ever happen. <laughs> but I think, I think in terms of the response of the general public um, you know, to, general, to, to marriage equality, that's what we're going to see eventually on, on abortion. And that's an optimistic view. I, I, and I know that I shouldn't be entitled to an optimistic well, no, view. I, mean, I, I wish I could be that optimistic. But the problem was that... that Two things happened. One, people, yes, got more familiar with the idea that a lot of people around them were gay and they didn't realize it. And that ultimately, even though it was nonsensical, it wasn't really affecting them. Okay? Gay people marrying doesn't affect heterosexual marriage. I mean, that was a stupid argument they made. Right. But the, 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 the idea of the identity associated with the phallic symbol, the gun, and then, you know, abortion and its association with you know, this, this uh, non-scientific idea of what the fetus is, is going to be very, very hard to break. It's not going to be as easy as marriage equality. Yeah, but I think, I think, I think as... Uh, as and, and really, as, and what, what, I don't know about this marriage equality thing. We're at a time where LGBTQ is becoming an issue of, seg- of, of you know, uh, being the target, being as, as you know... Uh, it was mentioned earlier that they're becoming boogeymen. Well, I think as a the, the, the trans community is still a target. I think, I think I think if you're gay or lesbian and married, very few people care anymore. And I know, think in lots of people's eyes, they're tr- they're lumped together. Well, hey, uh, folks, I gotta I gotta run to a break here. Uh, Charles Goldman, occasionally a doctor. <laughs> 
uh, with me in the studio today. Uh, we've been having a difficult conversation on it. Well, I think a good conversation on a difficult issue. Uh, Charles, uh, thanks so much for joining uh, us. My pleasure. Hey, folks, uh, again, when we come back from a short break, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm is going to join me. We're going to be discussing rabbits. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, you can support our alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor. Or if you own a small business, you can become a business sponsor of this program. Speaking of sponsors, thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of this program and community radio stations. Owner Mark Klipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's architecture by synthesis. All right, so Kathy Burns is in the studio with me, and we're going to be talking about meat rabbits. Meat rabbits. Uh, Some I, people are not going to like to hear that conversation. It's, <laughs> yeah, we've had some friends and family members cringe, a little, little weirded out by it. Um, but we, we go to the store and we buy a package of uh, meat from the counter, and I'm going to say we raise animals for eating way way more kindly and uh, way more sustainably than you will get at the big stores. Well, and I would say, too, that the environmental footprint of a pound of rabbit meat is way less than than an environmental footprint of, say, a, you know, a pound of soy meal. And I'm, I'm not dissing soybeans, but I'm just pointing out that in terms of, you know, if you're concerned about the environment... Uh, and you've got, uh, you've got, you you you've got you you want to raise your own food, and you've got limited space to do it. Rabbits are a great way to do it. Well, I did find a, a source called Foodprint.org, and they indicate that um, the environmental footprint of a pound of rabbit is um, about one sixth uh, of that of a pound of beef. Oh, okay. So that's a huge difference. Um, steak is delicious. <laughs> but rabbit is delicious, too, If and we're going to learn to cook it uh, correctly. I've cooked rabbit. I've cooked wild rabbit. I've cooked one uh, domestic rabbit, and they're a very different animal. Um, the wild rabbit that's most native to North America is is a cottontail. They are smaller, of course, 
they taste, you know, gamier the way they they're they're raised, and then um, they're tougher because they're out there moving around. Our rabbits move around. Um, they're fed well, but they're they're going to be bigger. They're New Zealands. Hmm. Yeah, and, and again, I I understand people's objection to eating rabbit. Uh, they're very very cute, and uh, they're adorable. And they twitch their noses. And they twitch their noses. Bob their ears back and, and forth. And you know, and we and we 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 love them. We just like just love being able to go out there and pick them up, pet them, feed them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it, it's I don't relish the moment of harvest. Of all the different products that we harvest, that's the one that I look forward to the least. It's going to be hard. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> however, we we continue to focus on raising food sustainably, and we are omnivores, and um, we we also want to model sustainable food production. And the hutch that the rabbits are in is made almost entirely from reclaimed material. Um, yeah, the, just, the, part, just the, the floor is the only thing that we had to buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we did that because we had to get a very heavy gauge wire so that the rabbits' feet would be comfortable. Um, and their feed, it's just uh, we, we feed them grass and various weeds. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I mean, in, in the wintertime, we'll have to feed them some kind of hay. Timothy hay is often recommended. Or possibly um, some pellets. Pellets, yeah. But uh, the feed production, the, 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 the food that goes into the rabbits is pretty healthy, very healthy and very cheap. Well, also, we go out and clip our grass by hand, or we mow it with our new, you know, non-motor, real mower. Real mower. And then we can rake that up. Um, And we're, you know, nothing's going to waste there. So it really is a very sustainable and very um, uh, nutritious meat source. So I'm looking forward to trying it. And, um, you know, I've got recipes in mind. Good. Did you? No. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't. Like I said, I've cooked wild rabbit. Um, I've never really taken the time to learn to cook uh, domestic mm-hmm. rabbit, but I'm going to share three recipes that I'm very excited about. Rabbit confit. Uh, ra- <laughs> it, it, uh, it uses the classic technique of slowly simmering the meat uh, in the oil until it's thoroughly cooked. There's shallots, garlic, rosemary, cardamom, star anise, juniper, uh, we may or may not use all those exact ingredients based on what we can get, how expensive they are, and what the carbon footprint of those are. But uh, another dish, roasted rabbit with herbs casserole. That is an Italian dish. Um, rabbit does take a little more slow cooking than most most other meats. Um, it's very lean, too, which is, is good, but you can't. I mean, I, I've heard stories of people in the wild, people stuck out in the woods who ate a lot of rabbit and, and, and died. Because they couldn't <laughs> keep the weight on. Right. They, they, yeah. they, there was plenty of protein, but no fat. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's, it's not the exclusive, um, uh, you know, element of a um, omnivorous diet. But, again, I, I want to say that, uh, you know, I, the, our goal is to live as sustainably as possible. And, you know, we, we, buy, we buy lamb and pork from farmers, mm-hmm. and we, we love these. These are great people. They grow raising sustainably. Their, yeah, and, and the product is, is really good, and it's very affordable compared, mm. compared to what you might buy, you know, might pay at a store, another store for those products. But it's also, I mean, the, the, the rabbit, rabbit is going to be, other than any meat we might hunt, mm-hmm. this will be the lowest, foot, lowest environmental footprint of any meat we eat. Another really cool benefit of raising rabbits is the manure. Uh, with most other manures that we collect and we do, uh, we have to let that cure 
for you know from fall to spring before it's uh, cool enough. In other words, it's just not strong. It's not going to burn your plants to to put that in the soil. Uh, rabbit manure is soil ready, so it comes out quote cold, and you can add it to your soil any time. Mm of the growing season. So if we see some of our plants struggling, needing, needing a little boost, uh, you know, we, we have a couple of other options, but now we have this option to use the manure mm-hmm. right away. I think it's gonna be interesting to, to try. Um, I'd love to see some, some, some information on, again, I don't fault vegetarian sources of protein. I mean, one of our other, one of our vegetarian sources of protein that we forage is walnuts. Mm-hmm. There's so much work. <laughs> There's they so much work involved work. in coming up with, say, a gallon of walnut meat. But, um, you know, I, I mean, I think of other types of protein as well, soy, um, other types of grain. And, and th- those are all good, but if environmental footprint is a concern, I don't know if you can get much better than rabbit. It's a winner. Yeah. Anyway, folks, uh, Kathy, thanks for joining us. You bet. Uh, thanks to uh, my co-host today, Dr. Charles Goldman, and to our callers, Joseph Glazebrook and Carol spaulding Cruzy. Thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles, Kathy, and myself, Ed Fallon. Uh, thanks to our local business partners, uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And remember, your support for this program matters a lot. So go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can get involved and make a difference. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.